The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, June 9th. I'm Terry Aranga with my guest, Dr. Lauren Underwood. As a health educator and biomedical consultant for families with children with autism, as well as moving her own daughter forward on the road to recovery, Dr. Underwood offers hope to many kids and families. Dr. Underwood received her Ph.D. from Tulane University and was awarded an NIH Postdoctoral Training Grant Fellowship in Vision Research. Dr. Underwood is a senior staff scientist for SSAI, supporting NASA. She is a Center for Autism and Related Disorders IRB board member and has appeared in many peer-reviewed journals. Finally, she is a very popular conference presenter, lecturing on a best practices model for treating autism. Dr. Underwood, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Terry, for having me today. Well, the first segment of this program will be more of a cursory overview, and then we'll go into more in-depth about specific systems later on. So, Dr. Underwood, to begin with, what do you think autism is? Well, autism is obviously a developmental disability. And when people look at and talk about treating autism, you have to remember that it is diagnosed as a psychiatric disorder. And it's a disorder that affects the brain, particularly communication skills, social skills, and reasoning skills. So most children on the autism spectrum have some sort of abnormal development in one of those three areas. And it affects normal development and normal behavior. But since autism is diagnosed based on things like behavior, sociability, and speech, why do we even bother to talk about physiological stuff and biomedical treatments? Because actually there are comorbid medical conditions that many of these children suffer from. And what's interesting is for the past 20 years, the Autism Research Institute has been recommending treating children with things like methyl B12, um, megadoses of B6 vitamins, and DMG. And now what's really exciting is that there is research, basic science research that's coming out in peer-reviewed medical and science journals that supports why treatments like these can make a significant difference in children with autism's lives. And that just because these children have autism does not mean that they should not be medically treated. Some of these children actually have allergy issues, GI issues, nerve conduction issues that need to be medically treated so they can feel better. Well, you know, how do you feel about autism as a label? Is that really useful? Isn't 
isn't autism actually the comorbidities? Aren't the comorbidities the the constellation of underlying physiological conditions that make up the diagnosis that cause the the symptoms that we see? Well, it it's interesting that you put it that way. It's kind of like which came first, the chicken or the egg, the symptoms or the diagnosis, and it, it's it just depends upon how you look at it. The other thing that's interesting is that, yes, all these different types of symptoms occur, but they occur differently in each child. So it's difficult to base it just on, you know, the comorbid symptoms that exist because they can vary from child to child. Mm -hmm. In general, um, Dr. Underwood, how do you feel about the label of autism being in the DSM-IV? You mentioned, you know, it's looked at as a psychiatric thing. So how do you really feel about the label of autism being in that manual? Well, you know, it's going to take a lot of public re- published research to actually have that change. You know, having something as a described medical condition be changed in the medical literature, you know, it, it takes a tremendous movement of science. So although we might not like the way it's diagnosed, I, unfortunately I don't necessarily think we have a choice and how it is described like right now. But be aware that these other conditions do exist and that they do need to be treated. But it, it's not necessarily, at this stage, what we know about autism, the best way to describe it, per se. And unfortunately, it's not always the case that children with autism will receive the treatment that they need. For example, if you or I went to a gastroenterologist and we said we had alternating diarrhea and constipation and we were posturing our, you know, um, putting our bellies over the ends of uh, couches and such and coffee tables, we would get a workup. But when mainstream physicians hear that a child has autism, often the parents don't even get an appointment or often when they get there the child is turned away because of that label of autism. You're absolutely right, and this is what makes it tremendously difficult for parents still today. I mean, I've been involved in this field for over 12 years, and it's still difficult for parents to get physicians, pediatricians, healthcare providers to consider looking at medically treating these children. I absolutely agree with you 100%. And my recommendation to parents is to be persistent, uh, to bring some basic literature that's out there to their pediatricians and ask them to consider alternative treatments. Right. It's, it's even a shame it's called alternative, but... Uh, yeah, but because of the way autism look, is looked at today, that's basically our only route we have to, to approach these types of treatments. Yeah, these, the GI maladies are just as legitimate as if you or I or a child with autism went into a doctor's office with a broken foot, a broken bone, you know, a dangling hand, something like that. It's just as legitimate. Absolutely. So, so you've talked a couple of times, you've alluded a couple of times to this, so go ahead and t- why don't you tell us about some of the peer-reviewed scientific literature that lends credence to the physiological conditions we're seeing are present in these kids. Well, one thing that I like to bring to light to parents, because many times when I go to these conferences, Parents say they can't find a health care provider who will work with them or they can't find a quote-unquote defeat autism now to, to work with, defeat autism now physicians or those who are very, very familiar and been implementing biomedical treatments 
for children with autism for many, many years and go through a somewhat rigorous training course before they're allowed to be described as one of these types of physicians. But, you know, those are few and far between. It can be really difficult for parents to get appointments with these particular physicians, but there are many open-minded healthcare practitioners out there. And there's an article that was published in the American Academy of Pediatrics called Management of Children with Autism Spectrum Disorder. It's available free online. Um, I can read off the URL if you like you know, after I mention what's in there. But within the contents of this paper, it says along with treatments like ABA and like different uh, sensory integration therapies and like auditory integration therapies, a physician should consider, con consider alternative treatments like a rotation diet or chelation therapy even. I mean, it, this is mentioned in this paper. Or... Additional, uh, there's a list of several other additional treatments. I, I think there was secretin is even mentioned in there. And bring this to their physician and say, please, just humor me and read this paper and talk to me about considering, you know, maybe doing a round of allergy testing. American Academy of Pediatrics is like the mainstream pediatrics journal. I mean, they, it's not like it's some, you know, far out, unrecognized peer-reviewed journal article. This is recognized by the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's something that they can bring to their physician that at least comes from a solid background, and they can use this to discuss with their physicians. Why not consider, you know, something like looking at my child, see if they have allergies, seeing if they have GI issues, because there is, you know, a pediatric journal article that suggests that we could look at these types of things. Well, that's great. But I think I'd like to qualify, um, if I may, if you don't yeah, mind. Absolutely. What, what I said about, what, what you said about solid background, because we have, that's what they regard as a solid background. I think yes. that's probably what you meant, because yes. there is peer-reviewed published literature in yes. other um, solid scientific journals that support what we're saying about the, the conditions that the kids have. Absolutely, there are. Um, there is a research scientist named Jill James, and she has done quite a bit of research looking at oxidative stress in these children. And I don't have the exact titles up in front of me, and I'd be more than happy to pull that up after the break so I could have those readily available for parents to look up. But within the contents of this paper, it discusses the fact on how children have detoxification issues, and because of this, they're not producing enough glutathione, and because of that, you might need to supplement with the cofactors that are involved with glutathione production, like methyl B6, like, I'm sorry, like methyl B12, like B6, and like DMG, in order to bypass perhaps some inadequacies in these biochemical pathways and enable the body to produce glutathione, which is your body's way for detoxifying itself. That's one really, really exciting bit of research. Then there's another research scientist named Dr. Deeth, and he's done a lot of research within the same pathway but different mechanisms. There are enzymes that drive reactions in these pathways, and his research suggests that there are um, genetic defects in the production of these of the production of these enzymes, and so these reactions that are responsible 
for producing glutathione don't run as smoothly as efficiently. And if you're exposed to toxins in the environment and you get a buildup, you kind of get like a backlog and the system can't drive as efficiently. And again, you're not producing enough glutathione. And when you get a buildup of toxins, they end up storing in your body, causing oxidative stress and causing cell damage. So there's two interesting, very, very exciting bits of research that explain the detoxification pathway errors that could be occurring within children with autism. Um, there's also documented literature by Dr. Yanucci that relates... Are you there? Yep. I'm so sorry. I hit my phone. I'm on a Barbie phone. I hit the Barbie phone <laughs> that talks about um, the relationship between the immune system and digestive issues, and they're research suggests that there is a relationship between behavior and immune system dysfunction and diet. Okay, and we'll talk more about this when we come back from break on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice. America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. 
We're back with Dr. Lauren Underwood, and before the break, Dr. Underwood uh, talked about an AEP paper that, by the way, mentioned chelation, and then she went on to mention uh, Joel James' work that talks about detoxification and glutathione and Dr. Richard Deese's work, uh, Dr. Minucci's work, and these these doctors and researchers are all from quite respectable universities, are they not? Absolutely, yes. Yes. Yeah, and... You know, I would even go so far as to say that uh, with the AAP paper talking about chelation, it's kind of an implicit endorsement of uh, the uh, work of the doctors and researchers who are working every day for our kids. Well, you're absolutely right because when parents look at considering chelation therapy, why are they looking at doing that? Because they want to help their children's body remove some sort of toxin, some heavy metal, which is a toxin from their body. And why can't their bodies do it on their own or why are they having problems doing it on their own or why are they inefficient at doing it on their own? Maybe it's because along the lines of this research that we're seeing that shows that many of these children have impaired detoxification systems and people are looking at alternative routes to kind of like boost this along. So if you go to your pediatrician's office and you get the stink eye, you say, hey, the AAP implicitly endorses the work of fine researchers like Dr. Jill James and Dr. Richard Deese, et cetera. So, and in doing so, by, by mentioning things like chelation therapy as a alternative treatment for consideration. Okay, so Dr. Underwood, how do we know that children whose intervention team members use an approach integrating biomedical with educational and behavioral therapies improve more and have a better chance of recovering than children only receiving educational behavioral therapy? How do we know? Well, we know from what parents tell us. Uh, Unfortunately, there isn't necessarily documented literature that supports this. But it only makes sense that if you have a healthier child, they're going to be more responsive. If a kid is suffering from cramping, from constipation or diarrhea, how are they going to pay attention, focus, and attend? If a child is suffering from allergies, sinusitis, runny nose, watery eyes, think about when you have a cold and you're at work, how can you attend and focus? How can they pay attention to whatever behavioral sensory integration therapy that you're working on when they don't feel well. When the children feel better, they'll be more responsive. And two, we have the kids. We have the recovered kids. Mark. We do have the recovered kids. Absolutely right, Terry. Yes. Mark McCluskey was at the Autism One conference speaking quite eloquently and articulately to uh, a uh, rather hard-hearted, sarcastic reporter from the Chicago Tribune and um, there, there's some hard evidence right there. You have the recovered child. You have the mom saying that at two and a half years old, she was told to institutionalize him. Here he is at 11. He's recovered, uh, waxing poetic and um, fun- functioning quite well. He helped with the passage of insurance legislation in Arizona. You know, bless him. And there's some great evidence. There's the recovered child. Absolutely, and for those who say that, you know, there's no treatment for autism, there are children who are getting better, some who are either recovering, looking more like neurotypical children because of 
implementing both of these types of programs. Right, right. Um, and you can see the child's cognition improving. You can see their level of functioning improving. It's they, because they can focus more. They can pay attention. They're, they're just, all of a sudden, they're more there than when they didn't feel well. Now, on a, on a practical level, how does invest, you, you've been talking about this, but can, can you give us some concrete examples? How does investigating and treating a child with autism help things like sleep? and pain, and potty training? Because all of these affect, all of these are related to systems of the body. And these systems of the body are, are having medical issues or problems. So when you treat things like, you know, their, their uh, constipation and, and diarrhea, they're, they're going to feel better. When they can sleep through the night. Like think about when, you know, you, you've pulled an all-nighter one night. How well do you function that next day? Or say you've done that for three, four, five, six, ten, twelve days in a row, months in a row. Say your child sleeps on an average of two hours a night. When you can get them to sleep through the night, they're going to be able to function better. They're going to be able to feel better. You know, same thing with, with any of these issues that are affecting systems of their body. If they're not functioning normally, it's going to affect any type of normal behavior, whether it's sleep whether it's digestion, whether it's uh, neurotransmission, whatever. If, it, if it's something that's not well, it's going to affect their behavior. It's really um, distressing to me that in a school situation, for example, in a public school situation, if you have a child who's um, exhibiting acting out behaviors, um, you know, what they do, they, they discount, so oftentimes the school psychologist or other school staff may discount the possibility that there's something legitimately physiologically going on, like pain, that involves pain, like to do with the GI system, and they, they do an ABC, antecedent behavior consequence. Okay, um, let's see, was there an ant crawling across the, the floor or something um, that made the child act out? When and discounting the fact that the child could be in pain, and that's why they're exhibiting self-injurious behavior, or that's why they're crying and screaming, et cetera. That is a fantastic point that you just raised, and that's partially why I developed this talk that I've been recently giving at you know several different autism conferences. It's because of the fact that the people who are responsible for the day-to-day you know, care, observation, schooling, therapies are not necessarily aware of telltale signs of things that could be wrong biomedically with these kids and immediately go to an, you know, ABC type checklist to see, well, what is it, you know, that set them off? You know, like you said, the ant or, you know, a piece of clothing or a tag on their clothing. You know, they need to be able to be aware of, if they're like bending over a chair, if they're rocking excessive changes in behavior, okay, we all know that they have deviant or abnormal behavior, but there can be changes in these abnormal behaviors. They can be hitting more. They can be biting more. They can be rocking more. They could be flapping more. They could be, um, their ears could be red. Their necks could be red. Their skin could be itchy. They could be scratching at their skin. I mean, these are all signs and symptoms that, you know, educational and behavioral intervention people need to be aware of to look for, to think, okay, maybe it's not something in their environment. Maybe it's something going on inside of them that is causing this 
additional abnormal behavior. Right. Pain, you know, pain. How do, how do you work under when you're in such pain? If I'm hitting your foot with a hammer and hitting your foot with a hammer and hitting your foot with a hammer and Lauren is screaming out, what am I going to do, give you a timeout because you're screaming? But if you don't know that you're being hit with a hammer, if you have a churning, you know, burning pain going on in your stomach and you can't tell anybody, right. you're going to act out. You're going to do something. You're going to scream. You're going to yell. You're going to rock. You're going to hit. But nobody's going to know that you're in pain because you can't communicate it. Right. Because you don't have language. But they should investigate it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, behavior is, these things called behaviors are communication. For these children, yes. It's real interesting. I had uh, found a really, really neat picture of a dog that was posturing in a vet's office. Now, we all know, at least as far as I know, dogs can't talk, right? But the vet was able to figure out what was wrong with this dog because of this posturing stance that he was taking. His head and his forelegs were stretched out to the ground, and his you know buttocks and hind legs were up in the air. And he was trying to relieve pressure from his stomach. And the doctor was able to realize that this dog was suffering from GI distress by this posturing behavior. Dogs don't walk around normally like that. That's not a normal state for the dog to be. Now, although the dog can't talk, the the dog was able, through its behavior, to let the physician know, the vet know, what was wrong with him. Yeah, you know, um, I had a couple years ago I had taken some antibiotics, and they gave me a gut bug. And the gut bug was bad, and I just felt like sticking a fork in my head, forehead. Yes. Or you can get severe, severe cramping. Uh, um, also, uh, you know, many of the parents of children with autism suffer from similar medical conditions. I've suffered from irritable bowel my entire life. I never knew any different because I've always had it. But when you get that attack of, like, intense pain, and if you can't find, you know, a toilet or you can't tell anybody, it's, I mean, you start to sweat and the, the cramping is excruciating. All you want to do is curl up in the ball and lay on the floor. Now, I, I can talk so I can tell somebody, you know, I don't feel well. I got to run to the bathroom. But, you know, it, it, a small child developing autism can't, can't do that. So they will, you know, scream and act out. Now, where does the sensory integration piece fit in? How big is this as a contributor to the behavior, and how much are the sensory processing problems based in medical problems in the body? Again, it's like anything else that what we talk about with autism. Some kids have tremendous sensory issues, and, and some, some don't. But the ones that do have to, have to, have to have some sort of, you know, sensory integration program to help their bodies, you know, appease the issues that they're having. Now, sometimes these are related to maybe food allergies that they have. And when you, you know, remove some of these foods, some of those sensory issues actually go away. Um, and some, you know, it's not. Or some, it's things in their environment that you can't, you know, you'll never be able to depict, but you have to desensitize them to the issues that they have because they're so obsessed about, you know, like say the tag on the back of their shirt and all they can feel is just that tag and they can't think about anything else like that tag. I feel that tag at the back of my neck. I feel it. I can't get it. I got to get it. And that's all they think about and they can't focus on anything else because they're just obsessed with that tag and that sense that they feel on the back and it has to be addressed. 
Well, then, yep, we need to respect and remediate these issues, too, and we'll talk more about them when we come back to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in. Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. And we're back with Dr. Lauren Underwood, and we were talking about. Uh, sensory issues before we went to break. So we have these um, sensory integration uh, dysfunctions, and they cause behaviors, but they were caused by something. So how do we fix the underlying problems and then, well, I guess that would help fix the sensory symptoms. But while we are working on fixing the underlying problem, whether it be detoxification or whatever, how do we also address the sensory symptoms? Big question there. And again, it goes back to what we had said from the very very beginning. It goes back to detoxification. Um, A lot of toxins, whether it's heavy metals or organophosphates or chemicals in the environment, cause a toxic buildup. If we're not removing them efficiently enough from our bodies, they store there and cause problems to to the cells, a whole variety of problems. 
and can affect things like neurotransmission and sensory information that, you know, is, is a feedback cycle in your body. So by detoxifying children, you can help at least move towards, you know, better sensory, sensory feeling in these children. Good, good. And then there are some specific strategies um, that occupational sensory integration therapists use to help the kids. In the meantime, while you're also addressing the real underlying language. Right. And it, it depends upon what, you know, if the kids have sound sensitivities, you know, you walk into a room and, you know, they cover their ears. You know, you want to perhaps consider going to something like AIT, which, you know, helps the children's ears adjust to different frequencies while you're going through this detoxification pro- process. Or if, you know, they have problems, you know, um, I'm trying to think, uh, with their mouth and tongue area, there are different types of, you know, exercises and texture exercises that you can work on with them to get them used to different sorts of textures being put into their mouths. It just depends upon which issue, which sensory issue the child has. And this kind of loosely segues into why I hate just throwing psychotropic drugs at kids (laughs) because it's just a Band-Aid. It doesn't address the root problems. Um, but it's something that comes along with autism, the label, just being you know, relegated as some psychiatric disorder in the dsm 4 You're absolutely right again. Um, you know, there's, there has been, it's funny, I was interviewed by a college student about whether or not, you know, I had an opinion on the overuse of medications for children on the autism spectrum. And unfortunately, I did not answer all the questions the way he expected me to answer them because, you know, mainstream thought is that these children need to be medicated. And that was the line of, you know, questioning that he was going down. And every time I got asked a question, it was opposite to that. I'm like, you know, you're better off looking at what might be causing some of their abnormal behavior. Some of the kids are giggly and wacky. Well, you know, maybe they've got some kind of yeast issues going on, and the byproducts of the yeast is causing them to act a little, you know, wacky or strange or drunk-like. And rather than just slapping a drug at them to make them drugged out or more sedate, figure out what's causing them to have that kind of, like, wacky, drunk-like behavior. Yeah, that's... That, that other view is kind of some antiquated, revisionist, Renaissance science or something. I mean, the Renaissance was cool for its time, but <laughs> we're past that now. Um, we're, p- people in the mainstream, uh, you know, medicine, et cetera, they are acting like the kids are a bunch of disembodied heads, like the, the hip bone is no longer connected to the leg bone. The head's not connected to the body. But really, autism is a whole body condition, just like other diseases. Absolutely right again. And again, I think this goes back to where we started at the beginning of the show in that autism is you know, clinically defined as a psychiatric disorder. And so physicians are trained in med school to look at it that way and you know, they're not trained to look at the whole body unless you happen to go to, like, a more holistic physician, uh, you know, alternative treatment, healthcare provider, uh, somebody who looks at the whole body as opposed to just the head, as you so eloquently put it. Yeah, that's, that's just a really 
telling. You know, um, it's really complementary medicine that you need to have for treating a child with autism. That's a shame when mainstream medicine isn't about looking at the whole body or the whole person or respecting the whole person. Huh. Again, this goes back to, you know, their medical training. And until the foundation that that's built upon changes, you know, we're, we're so westernized that, you know, we just, we just forget sometimes that there are other things going on in the body besides maybe what they came to talk to you about. So what are some things that parents need to look out for in their child's learning environment, whether it be a home program or a public school? Um, I, I think of fluorescent lights. Um, some individuals with autism seem to have problems with those in different environments. Um, perfume, I would think, that has uh, a smell and also it has um, some chemicals in it that the kids may be sensitive to. Um, Two things, two things. One good recommendation to make is anybody who is responsible for a child with autism, it's really good for them to maintain a daily log so that they could see on a particular day what perhaps seems to be setting that child off, whether it is Nothing that they can denote, they just write down, this kid had a fit today and I don't know why. Or, you know, I know they went in this room and they had the overhead projector on and there was a giant beam of light coming out of the projector and that's when the screaming started. So that you can track trends over time. But see, since each child is different, you don't know whether it's going to be the perfume for one or the fluorescent bulbs for another, or the overhead light for another, or going into a gymnasium where the voices are echoing for yet another, or the clicking of heels on the floor, or, you know, their backpacks hanging on their back. I mean, you know, it just it depends upon the child. But these are all things to be aware of. And if they track trends, at least that way you'd be able to maybe distinguish out whether it's something environmentally that's causing a problem or perhaps on the other hand, as we've been discussing all along, something internally, something biomedically. You know, you just made me think of an example from the past. There was a, a woman in the hospital who had meningitis, and the nurse came in, and the nurse was wearing perfume, and the woman said, you know, I, I can't stand, um, you know, being ex exposed to your perfume, to that extent, to that um effect. So she had meningitis and it made her intolerant of the nurses wearing perfume. So here's an example of having a medical condition that is adversely affecting some sensory issue in this person's body. Yeah, she had something neurological going on and she couldn't so she couldn't stand smelling the nurse's perfume. Just thought of that. Okay, so let's get back to some of the other things that you were uh, mentioning earlier, you mentioned Dr. Yanucci and um, the relationship between the immune system, the GI system, and, and behavior. So let's tie all of those together. There's a lot of talk about the gastrointestinal system and autism and the immune system and autism, and how do these tie together? Well, although most people don't think about it this way, uh, the GI system has the most... Uh, trying to think of the best way to say it, the, a tremendous amount of Im immune system cells 
are located within the GI tract more so than any other part of the body. When you talk about the immune system, most people think of, you know, antibodies or they think of like your lymph glands under your neck or, um, you know, your tonsils in your mouth. They don't think about the fact that there are immune system cells that line your entire GI tract. And that's because your GI tract is your first line of defense against things that you ingest that are not for nutritional purposes that you need to get rid of, that your body needs to help get rid of. And if any of these, this area in this, you know, 30-foot long stretch throughout your body is having something go wrong with the immune system, and so it's not necessarily reacting properly because your immune system is supposed to do no wrong. It's supposed to recognize foreign things and remove them from your body never supposed to do any harm, if it starts abnormally behaving, not normally functioning, tremendous, many, many things can go wrong with the GI system. So if your immune system is not functioning right, your GI, they're like directly linked. They're, there are going to be issues with your GI tract. I mean, I, I could keep going. <laughs> well, I want um, to get to the point of... of- Tying in food sensitivities, why diet is foundational, uh, the importance of a therapeutic diet. Because if, for whatever reason, your immune system is recognizing things that you eat as foreign, causes an immune system reaction, and causes things to go wrong. And so what happens when things go wrong, cells don't function the way they're supposed to function. So things that your body is not supposed to recognize as foreign, perhaps get recognized as foreign. Your body produces antibodies against them, and then you get GI distress and irritation. So in order to alleviate that, there there are many, many different theories and many, many different types of diets that are discussed to alleviate some of these problems so you're not having this strong immune system response in the GI tract. You're kind of like appeasing and relaxing and not letting this reaction to take place and will reduce the GI distress that some of these children suffer from. And I, I think if I remember correctly in the Junichi paper, they were specifically talking about, I think, gluten and casein in that paper and that there was immune system response to these and when kids had immune system response to these, they noted abnormal behaviors. Okay. So, so let's tie this in. Um, how, oh, I guess we're going to have to tie it in after the break. We'll be right back. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We're on how foods can affect your child's performance at school, thinking cognition. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on 
the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten, and Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Lauren Underwood, and before the break, we were going to begin talking about how the GI system, the immune system, and how the brain connects. Dr. Underwood? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so sorry. So, you know, if you end up having problems with your immune system, um, like I said, the immune system is supposed to do no harm. It's supposed to protect your body. It's supposed to get smarter. It's supposed to respond appropriately. And what happens is if the immune system fails to respond appropriately, all kinds of things can go wrong. And what's interesting is that there are these cells that are involved in the immune system. They're like the communicator cells. They, like, talk to each other and tell each other what to do and when to do things, called cytokines. And if the communication between these cytokines, these communicator cells, goes wrong, there's where you can have problems with behavior because this can affect what happens behavioral. This can affect your brain. So things that can go wrong with the immune system that affects, you know, physically in the body that can affect what you see outside, you can end up with hypersensitivity. So kids can end up with, like, you know, uh, rashes or sensory sensitivities to clothing and things like that. They can end up with autoimmunity. They can produce antibodies to their own cells of their bodies. And when they do that, again, this can also cause different types of brain and behavioral problems. It can cause inflammation, whether it's inflammation in the GI tract, inflammation in the brain, inflammation throughout systems of the body. And again, when you have inflammation in any cell of your body, it's going to affect proper cell function, and you can end up with immune system dysregulation, where the immune system is producing antibodies when it's opposed to producing killer cells and producing killer cells when it's producing antibodies, and it's just not responding appropriately because these cytokines aren't communicating properly. 
Right. It's really scary when you get a test result for your child and it shows that they're um, attacking their own brain tissue, you know, eating. So it's so important. What's frightening about that also is that, you know, along the same lines as like a condition known as MS, um, there could be cells of your body attacking the myelin sheath of your nerve cells. And what happens when this occurs is it affects nerve cell conduction. And nerve cell conduction, you know, enables you to, like, when I'm thinking, okay, I want to raise my arm up over my head. Well, certain cells in my arm are firing so that my arm can raise up over my head. Now, if there are little nicks in the myelin sheath along these nerve cells, I might, like, kind of wave my, wave, put my hands up. You know, if I have issues going on with the nerve cells in that, in that arm because the myelin sheaths have been nicked, it's going to affect how I raise that arm. It's going to affect the transmission of that signal from your brain to your fingertips to get your fingertip up over your head. And, you know, actually there are, there's tests that have been done on some children who show that they actually produce antibodies against things like myelin basic protein, which is the protein that's associated with the myelin sheath of nerve cells. Right. That's a really good point, Dr. Underwood. Um, so often the mainstream tries to make it seem like autism is isolated, but autism has similarities with other autoimmune diseases and other environmentally induced diseases. Um, if you're on a therapeutic diet, do you still need to be looking at supplements, enzymes, and probiotics? Absolutely, yes, because... Many times, you know, we try to do the best we can with the diet, but a lot of these kids self-restrict themselves on top of perhaps if we have to implement a somewhat restrictive diet. I always tell parents, you know, try to look at whole foods, you know, foods with fewer ingredients because you get the nutrients that your cells need for proper cell function from your foods. But if you're not getting enough of that from your foods, you've got to supplement so that your cells have all the nutrients that they need for proper cell function. Because if cells aren't functioning properly, the tissues aren't going to function properly, and you're going to end up with some type of disease-like state, whether it's irritation in the GI tract, um, whether it's allergy, whether it's, you know, some sort of issue in some system in the body. All right, Jacqueline McCandless has a great book. Um, there's a 2009 edition. It's Children with Starving Brains. And fantastic how, book, fantastic book. How could you possibly operate under those conditions if you had a starving brain? So and it yes. affects the rest of the body. So finally, and we may, we may need to pick up with this on the, the next show, this was the Cliff Notes version, and Dr. Underwood is coming back in two weeks. If your child is going to a public school, how can you help ensure that they are getting the therapeutic diet and supplementation they need during the day when you're not watching? Um, as far as supplementation goes, I think schools are real strict about what they're allowed to give children. Unless you have a prescription from a physician for a actual supplement to be given during the day, um, I think most public schools are going to um, steer away from something like that. But as far as, like, restrictive diets and, you know, making sure they don't get, like, cheese puffs at school because your kid's really allergic to cheese, make sure these things are written in their IEP. You know, when you have your IEP meeting and you're talking about what your requirements are for your child, you know, in a scholastic setting, include things like, you know, my child is allergic to whatever milk and wheat or peanuts or whatever it is, and that way, it's in their record, it's on file, an IEP is a legal document, and it legally binds the school to whatever is included in there. 
And allergies are really an autoimmune reaction, right? In many cases, it can be, yes. Yes. Right. It's so, an immune system reaction. Right. I don't know if it's necessarily an autoimmune oh, system, I'm sorry. but it's definitely an immune system reaction. Okay, I'm sorry I misspoke there. So just before we, we close, how's your daughter doing? Actually, fantastic, and thank you for asking. Um, she's been mainstreamed since kindergarten. She is in middle school right now with a personal assistant, primarily for safety reasons, uh, although there is language, you know, you, you always worry if there's enough language to, you know, convey the nuances that preteen age is surrounded by, but doing very, very well, has friends, socializes, is happy, is healthy. Mm-hmm. and is responsive to all the therapies that we implement. And, again, this was a child who was kicked out of speech therapy at age three because we couldn't say moo. So so the combination of biomedical plus behavioral therapy was helpful for your daughter? Tremendously so, yes. And I don't think that we would have been as successful with any of our behavioral interventions. Actually, I know I wouldn't because we were not being successful until I made some significant changes in or biomedically. Mm-hmm. And that's really respectful of the child that the the real legitimate physiological issues are being looked at and addressed medically. Right. You know, when they're unwell, it needs to be treated. Yeah, just like any other kid, just like just, any other adult, just like any other person. Yeah. They deserve that. They deserve that that fair treatment. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing to me that um, in in with other diseases, if a parent did not pursue uh, a medical treatment. They might be called negligent, but with autism, parents who are pursuing biomedical treatments are, are so often criticized. But again, this goes back to one of the, the hugest issues related to autism is communication. And because these children can't, in many cases, verbally communicate, that whole linkage is missing. Uh, you know, and, and I could go on about this, too. When, when my child had been having issues at school, the teachers would be in her face talking and talking and talking, and it was just like, you can't keep talking. Communication with verbal language is not the best way to go. You know, you've got to go some other way, either write it on a piece of paper or say fewer words because communication is not their stronghold. And I think because of that, so many of these things are missed mm. or just not taken care of. You mentioned um, your daughter's age, and why do you think we're seeing um, more symptoms erupt during the, around the time of puberty? Hormonal changes, which affect body biochemistry. So it, it's just it's, it's everything that was in one state completely changes with the introduction of hormones. Well, we keep doing more, and we keep learning more, and we'll talk more about this when we come back with Dr. Lauren Underwood in two weeks. Betsy is guest hosting next week about. Uh, IEP, Individualized Education Program Mediation. So I will see you in two weeks here on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you, our sponsor, Enzymedica. If you have questions about this program, please email me at taranga at autismone.org. And thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you.
Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.